Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. I uh, have a, the cleanest office I've ever been in. Uh, we oh just my god, that makes one of us. I'm glad no <laughs> one else can see the floor in here. Oh, oh my god! You should see the paperwork I have in my feet. Like the, it's like three different there, like parts of my life. A pile of paperwork. It's not just like oh, this is just taxes or this is just this, like bills or anything. It's like no, it's just it's a smattering of everything. It's a smattering of stress that I have. But other than that, I was laughing. I'm Casey glad you refused to come. She refuses to come in here. Oh, it's this like, is it's my like lair. a thing in our relationship. Casey just refuses to come into this room, I, which I respect I, it. I, I, totally I called it the dungeon. Or, I called mine the dungeon, it's, but it's upstairs, so it's more like the lair. Like this is just my <laughs> little, the, you know, the little castle where the experiments happen, like the little spire <laughs> over in our house right now. But yeah, that's it's going well. Other than that, going great. Yeah, I'm glad I got to talk about my stress at my feet that I got going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun stuff to dig into today. We got the take bowl this week. Justin Herbert and Tua going at it, which we will <laughs> we'll wade into slowly when we get yeah. there later in the show. But we will talk about it. Could talk about Bengals Browns. Feels like yeah. the Browns kind of have the Bengals number. Wanted to explore whether that's actually true and why yeah. it might be. Talk about Brock Purdy and the 49ers, what that outlook looks like. Backup quarterback in for the Ravens. We have some Falcons quarterback news, even though they're not playing this week, but we do want to talk about it. Yeah, we do. Before we get to any of that, I want to talk about what might be the weirdest game of the week, and that is the Lions and the Vikings. A familiar matchup, divisional game, get it twice a year, so obviously not weird in that respect, but it is a historic game for this specific reason, okay? Beller pulled the stat, really appreciate him doing it. In the Super Bowl era, there have been eight instances in week 14 or later where okay. a team with an 800 or better winning percentage has been an underdog to a team that was below 500. Okay? The last yep. five times it happened, week 18 of the 2020 season, the Chiefs had the one seed locked up. That was a Chad Henney game against the Chargers that I vividly right. remember. Yeah. Week 18 of the 2016 season, Cowboys had the one seed locked up. They were playing against the Eagles. Week 18 of the 2009 season, Colts so had the one seed locked getting, up. Sorry, I know I'm ruining your flow. Week 17, then. Week 17. I know you've, you've trained yourself so well. That week it's 17, the- <laughs> excuse me. Last week of the season is what I'm there getting at here. There you go. All of these, the last week of the season, when teams had the bye locked up. Every single one. So this is truly an unprecedented thing for a team with that? this winning percentage the, this deep into the season to be an underdog to a team with a losing record. And but you step back and think about it, and the way that the Lions have looked recently, the way the Vikings have looked recently, it's like, all right, kind of makes sense. Yep. I don't think it's that nuts for that to be the line in this game. So there are a couple things to dig into here. One, just the state of the NFC. Two, we've been joking all year. Are the Lions are the Vikings good? Are, are the Vikings good? 
We've I've asked every single person that's come on the show. Now it's time to ask the markets. The markets have given you a definitive answer, and their answer right. is no. The Lions are not, or the Vikings are not good. There's always the oh Vegas always knows like that. That's what they're kind of saying. They're like now it's the home field advantage isn't as drastic. I think they've knocked it down like a half point, so it's more that two and a half instead of three now. So they're basically saying, yeah, these teams are about even with these wildly different records and wildly different uh, trajectories of their season. But I think with this Vikings team, uh, there's plenty of stats talking about how has come out about them in one score games and how you know over time that can fall out their expected win losses they're basically six and six uh, they're yeah they're 6.3 to 5.7 their expected win loss i mean and i'm sure the vikings are excuse me i'm sure the lions are right around there based on their oh, record so. in one score games uh, yeah i didn't even look it up but i'm going to <laughs> but also like but if you just want to credit yes we like the vikings do and the vikings are fine it's just that that's what i don't want vikings fans to be sensitive about that they're like we're not saying they're bad it's just that they're fine as opposed to the record is not indicative of their fineness. And I think just on the flip side is the Lions, and we've talked about this, is they're playing how we wanted them to play in September, and they've really come into their own. Since their bye week, it's always fun to look at teams after the bye week because that's when you can see adjustments, usually the good teams adjust anyways. And the Lions since their bye week, which was in week six, so since week seven, they're fourth in offensive success rate, seventh in offensive EPA per play, and ninth in defensive DBOA. They are a top... 10 team like at every metric i test they're healthier their guys are coming back you're seeing dj chark really step up last week jameson williams is coming in amon ross st brown's a star their offensive line has gotten healthy again and they have depth there jared goff is playing within the the scheme and their defense has cleaned up a lot of their woes this lions team is not like oh a surprising nifty you know this is like a like a fun line team. they're legitimately a good team right now they're, they're good. a top team they are good top 10 team right now and that's what well, i think we just have to realize that's why the betting markets show this as well over the last month, the last four games, the Lions are third in EPA per play on offense, behind yeah. only the Chiefs and the Cowboys, okay? The Vikings are 18th. Defense is what was holding the Lions back the yes. entire year. Their, their defense wasn't just bad. It was league worst. His, and it was historically bad. <laughs> it was so, so, so bad. And that tends to normalize. Mm-hmm. For the most part, if your defense is that bad, it's usually going to get at least a little bit better. Yeah. And for the Lions, like they're not good on defense, but over the last month, they're 23rd in EPA per play on defense. The Vikings are 20th. Yeah. So right now, the current state of these teams, there just isn't really an area where the Vikings are better than the Lions, but the Vikings yeah. are 10-2, and two, and the Lions are probably not going to make the playoffs. That's... That's where they have a 10% chance. I think we looked yeah, at Yeah, the Sunday. tie last week hurt them because yeah. they had the tiebreaker over both of those teams. And the, then the, now it doesn't really matter because God, Washington and the Giants tied. Oh, oh, I know. I, want, I kind of want the Lions team in there as well. But that, that's the thing with the Vikings team. I really dove into the stats, watching them the eye test. And I, I, they're trying to figure stuff out, especially the two tight end looks. They're trying to just piece their way midseason. That's what's so fun watching these teams adjust. And I was really hoping after the Hawkinson trade that like some stats would really jump. And it's like, not really. They 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 are kind of middle of the pack and everything, 16th to 25th, and like everything on offense or defense. If you look at EPA, yep. you look at success rate, run, passing, offense or defense. It's there's nothing that really stands out. Explosive play rate. They've been poor on the ground, just generating those explosive plays. I think that's gonna become an underrated thing. This is a sidebar. Watching the Rams the last few years, and now watching this Lions team, or I'm sorry, this Vikings offense, is we underestimated all the play action stuff that comes from it. But those offenses got a lot through the ground. 
those Rams teams. A lot of explosive plays through the ground. That's why that 2020 Rams, they hit, they started hitting a wall and McVay is like, man, we don't have healthy girly anymore. We don't have a great offensive line that's kicking ass anymore. All right, let's trade for the quarterback because that'll make our lives easier. That's why you make the trade for the quarterback was because of that. They had that boon down on the ground. And I think that's what's going through with this Vikings team right now. It's like they're not getting much from the ground game, but they're trying to find their way in the passing game because they have this guy, Justin Jefferson. And talk about the lack of explosive plays on offense. You know, no team in the NFL has given up more explosive passes this year than the Vikings. I did not know that. 16 plus yards. Vikings are dead last. That's interesting. The Lions have turned into one of the most explosive passing offenses in the league. This is just a bad situation. And yeah. the number that I keep coming back to, and the, the Lions run less, less play action than I thought. Like it's if not, I just think of the Lions in my dose. head, yeah. I, in, they're just this downhill running play action team. And they're actually not. They're kind of yeah. middle of the ra- middle of the road, yeah. even like early down play action rate. But they still, it's a big part of their passing offense. And it's why they can get a lot of chunks out of it, right? Yeah. Minnesota is dead last in net yards per attempt against play action this year. Interesting. They're, they're giving up over 10 yards per per attempt, net yards per attempt against play action this season. They're 31st in the NFL in EPA per dropback against play action. Like you can get gashes against this team, and there are very few offenses in the league right now that are better at creating gashes than the Lions. Yeah. And so that's why every layer of this that you start thinking about it makes more and more sense that this line looks the way that it does. And to take it big picture from there, what does that mean for like the state of the NFC? If this Lions team is an underdog, or I keep doing this, if this Vikings team is an underdog to the Lions right now, (laughs) then we're looking at the rest of the NFC. The Niners are still 12 to 1 to win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, which Which is is a testament to everything else going on there. Congratulations. But this really becomes a two-horse race, potentially, mm-hmm. with Philly and the Cowboys with not much else to worry about if you really think that Brock Purdy dings the Niners enough. Which, and it, it's weird. It, we're just in such to. a weird landscape with the NFC right now when you consider all these different factors. That And that's what it is. As, as much as I... I'm enjoying like some aspects of what Washington's defense is doing and you know, they're interesting offense. It's not like an overall like really good team. Um, I'm, a, I'm interested in the Seahawks. Like I think the Seahawks are actually way, they're better than I think we're even getting credit, credit, credit for as far as being a better team than more just a fun story, but it's still not like an overall great team. Their defense gets gashed. Their quarterback is on playing match. at an extremely high level. Incredibly and and that's level. where a lot of the enthusiasm about the Seahawks it is right now. And they're young play, and they have a lot of fun young players. Charles yeah. Cross and Abe Lucas both look like studs. Tariq Woolen is in the battle for defensive player or defensive rookie of the year, and they have other young players there stepping up. Kenneth Walker before whatever's going on with him right now. But it's that is an interesting team with a a. It's just that you have to recalibrate. Like I'm expecting, like basically what the like Seahawks are doing is what I expected maybe the Packers to be. You know, like that kind of, okay, seven to five with a good quarterback and some interesting pieces all around them. But it's like, that is kind of like the difference of, I think we have to recalibrate some of the team. And that's where we are. I'm at with the Lions. It's that they might not make the playoffs. They have a losing record right now, but I feel better about them right now than I do with a lot of these other teams in the NFC. Yeah. It, the Super Bowl odds are weird. Beller dropped them in here and you're looking at them and some of them seem a little bit off, but it's because of the road you have to take. Right. You know, the Vikings are still 18 to 1 to win the Super Bowl because there are fewer teams in the NFC that are really elite teams. And they might the get Bengals a good are 13 yeah. to 1. 
Okay. It, it, I think the Bengals are significantly better than the Vikings, but the yeah. Bengals are 13 to 1 because they have to deal with the Bills and the Chiefs and potentially the Dolphins. The Dolphins are 21. The Dolphins have the same Super Bowl odds that the Bucks do, which feels off right now, but that's also about how, 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 how hard yep. the road is. The Dolphins right now are the sixth seed in the AFC. They're eight and four. They're three and a half point favorites against the Chargers, who are six and six. Six. The D- Vikings are two and a half point dogs to the Lions, who are five and seven. That's, that's where good. we are. Right there. Right there. That's just, that's not us. That's the markets. <laughs> it's just what everybody is feeling right now. I do. Love I do. That every, every single Vikings fan that was crowing after that Bills game. Are the Vikings good? Are the Vikings good? I don't know. Let's let's wait a couple we're weeks and ask Vegas what they think. We still don't know, <laughs> but I think we have some better, more more data points now. The other thing, I because I, I just this is one thing that's kind of I'm I'm interested with the Vikings is they're not very good out of eleven personnel and they keep going to it like pass success rate, EPA per dropback, all that stuff. But they got to figure out how to get into. I'm, I'm going to keep talking about it until they do it. They got to figure out how to get into twelve and twenty one personnel because that's how they get their trunks. They when they they're rushing out of twelve and twenty one, so two tight ends or a fullback is twenty seven point nine percent rush success rate, which is the twenty sixth. But they're tied for tenth in pass success rate. They have to figure out this is your offense now with Hawkinson, and they have to lean into it because last week against the Jets they were not leaning into it. It's blowing my mind why you want to do that. On the flip side, of their defense. Sorry, I did some studies on it, and I I, I have to drop these <laughs> these numbers on it. The other thing too is any Vikings fan or anyone who plays against the Vikings, if you notice. A lot of balls go to the flats, a lot of curl or a lot of swing routes, a lot of flat routes going to the running backs or other players. They are tied for fifth and the worst success rate on balls that go over to that area, flare routes. But they are the best defense in the league at guarding slot players and tight end players. So if you watch this Vikings defense, they just put a shell all around the offense and just squeeze everything inside. But that's probably what leads to some of the play action stuff. Is because yeah. they are those linebackers are, have to come up and down. They have to go every which direction. They put a lot on Kendricks and, and uh, to a lesser extent uh, Hicks. Like they put a lot on those guys, and so it's just it's interesting. It's a it's a I love looking at the flavors now that we got some more data points, and it's not just like a one off matchups, which we'll talk about probably with that like Bengals Browns game as well. Like you got oh. like these matchups are really really cool. Well, it's time to get into one more one off matchup here. We're gonna get to our game plan of the week. Let's do it. Yeah. So Frank, here's the plan. All right, here we go. Rematch of a game we've already seen earlier this season. Bills offense against the Jets defense. Obviously, strength on strength. The Jets are sixth in EPA per play on defense, fifth in EPA per dropback. Bills third in EPA per play on offense, second in EPA per dropback. Going back and watching this game from, I believe it was week nine. The Bengals-Browns matchup was week eight, so that's why I have them confused because we're talking about two rematches today. Right. Anything specifically jump out to you about just the Jets' plan on defense and whether you feel like it was something specifically tailored for the Bills or if this is just something where the Jets in their bones, who they are, are a slightly bad matchup for Buffalo right now? It's like it's like a leading question, Your Honor. Uh, they Jets are going to run what they run. Like they, They're not going to blitz a ton. They're going to run their – their quarters look, some three, some man. Like they kind of run what they run. And I think the way you get after this Jets team, this Jets defense is so much fun to watch. They're they have they just what what did you tweet? You you had something about the 49ers and Jets defenses. What what was with I their said DNA? I watched their defenses line is like watching a pack of mutant wolves. Mutant wolves. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> we got throw another term in there. Banshees, werewolves, like whatever you have. This they are from the same DNA. They play with their hair on fire, but in a controlled way. 
Like it's not chaotic just to be chaotic sense. Like last year, that Cowboys defense at times could feel like they're just chaos. Yeah. And it was like, Oh my God, you run on them. They get a huge gash because they have three guys in the same gap. This, this defense feels a lot more controlled, even with that chaotic play, but the way to get after him again, this is what led to my Vikings jets point from last week. And I'm going to, God, I'm just a caricature of myself was you get him into base, base defense with three linebackers on first and second down and you can get after him a little bit but guess what the bills can't really do that they well. tried to do it early in the game they did in the they first quarter of that game they were in so it's a number is on it a little bit off because i think true media counts it as uh, 21 but it was really 12 with gilliam and they yep. were trying to throw out of it and it just wasn't really successful they couldn't run out of it they couldn't throw out of it i think they had nine plays in 21-12, however you want to characterize it, mm-hmm. in the first quarter. And then they didn't really go to it for the rest of the game. So they, they tried to do it and then just scrapped it because they didn't like how it was working. They just went, uh, okay, hey, Josh, go, 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 go play for us. Go do some stuff. And that was – Josh Allen had his – you know, the, the coin flips of Josh Allen hit the other way in that game. He had the bonkers interception in the red zone where he just – he blacked out. We say blackout usually in a good way. He blacked out in the bad, bad time travel way of like, what was that? And there's been some theories about why that happened, but that it was just not a. Do do we know why? Because I was trying to find some sort of explanation afterwards in a game recap, wherever, and I, I didn't see anything. No, I haven't found anything. I think people's theories is that he truly. When he looked, because you are assuming a lot at quarterback, you assume this guy's going to keep being open. Uh, when he looked, he just didn't see a defender. And then finally, when he threw it, it's he like, was oh, behind like, him. It if was you behind look at, the like, guy. The sight line. Yeah. It's like some magic bullet stuff. He yes, was directly behind the linebacker. And so I, that was my guess is that he just couldn't see him. But even watching it back several yeah. times on the all 22, it's like, what was happening there? It's just it, Professor Chaos, man. It was one magic loogie. Like that's what, <laughs> that's really what it was. Um, but the other thing, just diving into stats, and this isn't so much the matchup is I, I wanted, I did want to talk about it is the Bills, um, other Ken Dorsey, I, I believe, have found ways to be more efficient. Um, but since their bye week and since some injuries with the O line, it's kind of come unraveled a little bit. They, sh- the O line struggles. Josh Allen mitigates a lot of the pass protection struggles, but you see it show up in the run game is yes. where they can't move the ball. And that's where defenses make it tough on them, daring them to run and they legit just can't do it. Like they just can't. And it's not a can or won't thing. I had credited Dorsey because I am, I do see him trying to find answers. That's not just, Hey, Josh Allen, go run the ball. And one of them to me has been empty formations. And some of that is because it spreads it out for Josh Allen, let him use his legs, but he's only scrambled out of it 10 times uh, when they've been an empty eight successful scrambles on those 10. So it's just, it's insane what he does as a scrambler, but he, they have 91 snaps out of empty this year compared to 87 last year. He's cut his sack rate in half, but he's pushing the ball two yards further out of those sets. Only Lamar has more empty formations this year, but no one has generated more EPA, just sheer EPA or EPA per dropback. I think Andy Dalton's the only one close with EPA per dropback. He laps a field out of this, and it's not just because he's scrambling like other quarterbacks. Like you look at Jalen Hurts when they're in empty. It's like, okay, shot play or he scrambles. It's They have found a weapon here, and it's like one of the most devastating weapons. It's just put him in empty, which is hilarious because I'm crediting Dorsey for saying, oh, you're not relying on Josh Allen so much, but this is just sheerly relying on Josh Allen being Josh Allen. So I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. But I just think it's that those issues that we have had worries about with this offensive line kind of coming back to haunt them a little bit over over time. The uh, last stat I'll drop is weeks one through six before their bye week. 
Josh Allen uh, attempts that are three seconds or longer it was 6.7%, which is much better than he has throughout his career. Since week eight, it's been at 14.2% of that's, his past that attempts. Is, that's what I'm into right now. That, right there. That is, that is huge. And I, that brings me back to this matchup last time we watched these two teams play. Yeah. Is that when they're playing against one of these teams where the Jets didn't do anything crazy. So you look at the numbers, like they ran a little bit more cover six than they yeah. ha- than they do typically. That, the yep. sauce interception, that was exactly the coverage that they were running. I yep. think that Allen couldn't tell if it's is it quarters, is he gonna follow that route? Is he sitting there? And Sauce sat in the flat and he threw it right to him. Yep. And so when that when this team has to operate on time against a team that's playing a variety of zone coverages, yep. they tend to not get into a rhythm. It's a little herky-jerky, and you yep. can feel how kind of disjointed it can be over the course yep. of an entire game. There, This is not – the comparison I made when we were talking earlier today, and I know this is – there's a reason for this, right? Like the Niners are hand-strung by the physical ability of their quarterback. But it's amazing to watch a team like San Francisco play where mm-hmm. everything – is built into timing and rhythm of the offense. And you're yes. watching them go against teams that are teams play almost exclusively zone against the Niners. It's it's like yep. one of the highest zone rates in the league. And you see all the high lows they run over the middle of the field yep. and how they're they're building in ways to beat zone coverage into the structure of and the rhythm of the offense. Yes. The Bills don't play like that. So when they're playing against a team like this, where you don't know if it's three, you don't know if it's quarters, it's a lot of like just the ways that modern defenses play. And you can't hit those big crossers yep. because that backside safety is catching them. Or it's this all these the huge explosive plays get taken away in structure. They don't really have much else. Yep. So that's when Josh has to go into creation chaos mode. And that can be a very good thing. But mm-hmm. the floor of that against a really good defense is very low. And his numbers in this game, point negative 0.13 EPA for Josh Allen the last time these two teams played. That's Davis Mills. <laughs> right. For the course right. over the course of the season. So the Jets turned Josh Allen into Davis Mills in, in the last game between these two teams. And I don't know what the answer is to fix that. That's right. That's that's the main point right there. I mean, there probably is one. That's why Ken Dorsey is the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, and I'm an asshole yep. sitting in this chair. But I don't know what the solution is for this lack of rhythm that they can't find against these zone-heavy teams that say, we're going to come with four. You don't know what coverage we're going to play. We don't trust that you can take advantage of this. And one of the ways they usually can, especially against teams that play a lot of cover three, is that they're just going to run those hitches and speed outs to digs consistently on the outside because teams are terrified of what he can do vertically. The vertical yep. push that he can get, you're getting a lot of Think about how many just you know, on rhythm underneath throws their little two-man game has out there. The Jets are really good at outside corner. Yes. <laughs> it arguably is one of the best, maybe the best outside corner duos in the league right now. So the areas where you can attack other teams, you can't really attack the Jets if you're Buffalo and you have a talent disadvantage up front. So just a lot of different things piling up for why this is not a good matchup for Buffalo. It's uh, that the Jets defense is so damn good and they're fast. And that's the thing too, is the bills manipulate a lot in the hidden spaces. And like, like you said, Diggs selling vertically in what I call an under route, uh, you know, five yards and in those routes, they run them over and over and over. And, and Josh Allen hits them so quickly on the outside. Those are great when the corners are, you know, 
insert name here, like just a replaceable guy because they're terrified. So they, they run five, eight yards off and then there's yes. just all this gap. And then now, okay, now it's a seven, nine yard gain. Now with against the Jets, they run that to Diggs and it's a four yard gain. And it's like, oh man, we just, we got to do this 20 times. Like as opposed to one breaking through or creating more yards or they finally take the bait and you hit a back shoulder on them. And that's the thing. This Bills offense is so damn good. They're fourth in DVOA. They're first in success rate. They're tied for second in EPA per play. Tied with the Eagles only behind the Chiefs. Still a damn good offense. They just miss some answers. They don't have every tool. Like a lot of uh, that's what's really hard about the NFL. And it's honestly like this Jets team. I'm glad you brought up the man stuff. Because that's what they were so devastating on those overouts, and you see them all the time against the Patriots. Because teams were playing a ton of it against them for man no reason. Yeah, and when you run three match, it plays out like man a lot, and that's what was the meta for defenses for years and years. And this offense was shredding it because it's like, okay, you want to do this? We'll just hit an over route to Diggs again and again and again and again. And now and think about what they the do scores. against New England. Yeah, that, well, who yeah, runs? You can, and that's what they do. And and Josh Allen, he has improved on that. He's not. As much as there's some fan fiction at the early early in this year, especially from like Chris Collinsworth and stuff, saying, "Man, he's reading the game like Brady now." Josh Allen's eyes are not teaching tape. Like you don't, he plays so unique, like for the quarterback position. They're like, chaotic I, on purpose. Yes, it's meant to do this. And that when you're in man coverage, say I'm throwing this over at why I want to get why I want to talk about this, and it's man coverage. I can I know where to throw it. I don't have to worry about someone else squeezing on, falling off. I can just layer it out and let the throw go and beat the man coverage. When you're playing against zone trying to throw those, I have to be on time. Even with my incredible arm strength, I can't be a second late. I can't be a half second late because they'll punish that. And I think that's why you see so many more underneath throws is that he's realizing I can't get away with those over and over. Like it used to be so easy. Can I play the Patriots every week and just throw this over and over? So that's where I think that's what it is, is that this Jets defense, they're they're the bogey team for them. They are built very well to stop what the Bills want to do. Part of the problem is when a lot of other offenses that are really good offenses fall out of rhythm and you need to find something, occasionally yep. you can turn to the run game. Yep. And that's just not an option for this team. You know, you mentioned it, there are issues up front and, you know, obviously they've had offensive line injuries and De- Deion Dawkins has been hurt. Cuisenberry played yeah. last week. And it's the fact that they didn't start well. And now it's you're getting into backups at times. Yeah. That's definitely a concern. Okay, yeah. This team, last time these two teams played, the numbers are totally skewed because of that Josh Allen huge touchdown run and just Josh Allen scrambling in general. But on runs to running backs, they had a 25% success rate, which would be by far the dead last in the league over the course of the season. Negative 0.29 EPA per rush in that game, which would no team in the league has been worse than that this season. On it's like the year the total, defense every year. Yeah. Yeah. And every on year. the year total, they rank 29th in running back rushing success rate. Yep. It's they just don't have that many ways to find a rhythm. So you just fall into this Josh Allen trying to seek out explosive plays, which he can yep. do. He can do that. And it's just it's so funny how these teams go about it in such different ways. Yeah, I remember talking to Joe Brady this summer at training camp and him talking about coming into Buffalo and kind of learning the way that they operate. And he was saying that usually within an offense, like the timing of the quarterback's footwork, the quarterback's footwork is tied to the timing of the play, right? Yes. It's all in succession and it all has to be linked yep. together. Here, it's like kind of loosey-goosey. Like it's the footwork is not about time being timed to the play. It's very vibey. And yeah. so... If the vibes aren't going, you have results like what you saw in the last game between these two teams, which is just yep. 
I, I'm curious it's, how it plays out this time because it was very disjointed the last time. It is. I mean, that's what happens. Like, there's been injuries, right? But they're still starting Spencer Brown at right tackle. And it, what you're saying, the vibey stuff, and that's what I'm saying, is Josh Allen is still a phenomenal player. Like, he's so exciting to watch and everything. But it's not, uh, as a former quarterback coach and former quarterback, it's not teaching tape. It's not – and that's why I gush about Dak and even Joe Burrow is because – and even Justin Herbert a little bit is because everything they do is a machine. One, two, three, ball out. One, two, three, five, ball out. Hit one hitch, check down. Oh, my – your feet are telling you when to throw the ball. Josh Allen's gifts and even Mahomes a little bit. Mahomes can kind of do both. That's why he's Mahomes. <laughs> he can live in the kind of basic tried and true world and then he also can get funky. I'm trying to think of a director. You'll probably nail one. But, you know, that Denise – Feeling a wave like that? <laughs> like, who can kind of like do a straight lace movie, Villeneuve. but also go Villeneuve, Villeneuve, wave. <laughs> but yeah, I can always just butcher names, man. That's my that's my go to. But that's the thing is he's hitting against the Lions. I'm rewatching that game. He hits a hole. They're empty. He hits a hole shot to the field, thirty yards down the field, late. And it's yes, it works for them. For them, not everyone else should be living that way. And this is when the coin flips the other way. This is what happens. So this is what it looks like. I'm trying to think of a director that's like on two ends of the spectrum, and my answer is George Miller. Like Patrick Mahomes in rhythm is Happy Feet, and Patrick yeah. Mahomes out of rhythm is Mad Max Fury Road. That's exactly it. Yeah, he's he's beyond Thunderdome. That's that's exactly what he is. I wanted to call out just a couple areas and a couple guys on the Jets defense before we moved on that jumped out while rewatching that game. Sheldon Rankins has had a phenomenal season. And just in for what he is within that defense, just like another yeah. rotational piece. He was, was really, really good. Yes. The last time these two teams played, they left him on Ryan Bates one on one a couple of times, including a strip sack where Bates was just not ready. <laughs> he was not <laughs> built for that. And the other guy that I, sauce is so good. And so there were a couple moments in that game where you could see the communication between yep. him and the rest of the defense. They were motioning into a lot of stack. The Bills do this all the time. They'll yep. do a lot of quick motions to change number counts at the snap so you're mm -hmm. playing with leverages and you're playing with all right who's one who's two it was like a first and 10 early in the game and 15 i think is kumaro motion into a stack with gabe davis and you saw uh dj reed this time motioning to joiner like push push it inside like he's now two like you you have this if he goes a certain way and they pick it up beautifully yeah. and the ways that Sometimes it's hard when you're watching them play to discern what's man coverage and what's zone if you don't know exactly what you're looking at because of how aggressively they match routes. Yeah. So there's a lot of times where the Bills are hoping that like some big over or some dig is just going to get not picked up. They're going to drop it. And that's why you can lead to uh, some big gains, some explosive gains. Yeah. And they rely on defensive mistakes a yes. lot, this team does. Yes. And against a team like the Jets that just isn't making a lot of coverage mistakes, you're going to run into issues. And I think that yep. jumped up a lot in that game. And the safeties, too, like Whitehead playing downhill on stuff, they they just have just a mentality <laughs> that starts at the front, right? Yep. We've seen it with the Niners. I've seen it with this Jets team. Aaron White Cotton is the Jets defensive line coach. He was an assistant under Chris Kasurik for one year in San Francisco before they brought that staff over. So that DNA is kind of tied in. Yep. And you see that mentality now drifting all the way back. Quincy Williams is trying to like break people in half. Dude, right that's now. awesome. He's trying He's to snap people in half. And it is cool so to watch. Fun. And yes. Whitehead's doing the same thing. Yep. So it this is a really, really good matchup. And again, I don't know what the easy answers are for the Bills to find more consistent offense against this version of the Jets. 
Yep. It, it's a high variance team against a defense that wants you to play their game. They're going to yep. make you. We talked about it last week with the 49ers. I know we're talking about the Jets right now. 49ers defense. And we're going against the Dolphins offense. How would you stop it? That's like, well, we're not going to see it this week because the 49ers do what they do and they yeah. get you into their world. And that's what the Jets team does. And Quincy Williams and Quinn Williams the, and uh, just Carl Lawson's playing well. Like they just have some real, real dudes and they play really fast. And that's why the 49ers comparisons, the DNA is there for both of these teams because of how hard they play and what they play. This is a perfect example. First play of the game in week eight when these two teams played or week nine. I can't, can't remember. Diggs goes in motion. A little motion that they do all the time where he motions into the number one spot and just kind of goes at the snap. And a lot of the times he's going to run a speed out or a hitch when they do that because he's mm-hmm. going to threaten vertical and there's going to be all that space underneath. The Bills know that the Jets know that. And so they just have digs go vertical and it's like a 50-yard completion. Well, that was one of their only big plays of the game. Right. And the reason that early. they think they can hit that is because they knew the Jets would be attuned to the tendencies that the Bills have in those situations. So they're taking advantage of how well coached the Jets are. Like that, Those are where they can find explosive plays. And I think that's yes. very telling. It is. And those are one-offs. That's the thing. It's yep. it's uh, because it's it's like you hit okay, I hit my easy button and we hit a gain. Okay, shit. Now we gotta run the ball. Like, uh, okay, now we uh, we can't do this over and over. We can't go back to that play. Like maybe you could try it, but you better have a secondary answer on it. But that's the thing. They they that's why these matchups are so cool. When you get the repeat matchups going on, now the Jets have some dudes so they actually can do the things they want to do. Also, the other thing with Sauce, that's such a great example. So that's the thing. I Sauce and Stingley coming into this draft, Derek Stingley for the Texans, liked them both. Everyone uh, kind of was like, it was 1A, 1B to me. I, I, there was no wrong answer. I thought Sauce would be just such a great man corner. It yeah. was kind of the Sertan. He has the traits. Um, yep, and the traits. But the I didn't realize his IQ. And his football IQ is outstanding from week one when they played the Ravens. And and then they played the Bengals later. Just his communication skills, that example you brought up, is exceptional for a rookie corner. He is an actually exceptional player already at that position, which is outstanding, which is so cool. And also the other thing was, I remember last week, I was like, oh, the Vikings, they played him to the offense's left for one snap. And it was Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson TD. I learned why, why it was, was because in the red zone, they have him match on the boundary. Which was, that's where most of the I, throws go. Yeah, that's yes, what he said that love, after, which is really interesting. I love that. I know. I was like, I learned, see, I learned something every day. And that's what's amazing about football is all these tendencies uh, kind of start to add up. All right. We're going to get into another rematch that we want to dig into. Before we do that, though, we're going to take one quick break. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Tell me about Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it's always a mystery. It's uh, yeah. always there's never no no way to know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. We talk about the Bengals and the Browns. Bengals again, seemingly having a lot of issues with the Browns over the last couple of years. They haven't beaten the Browns since the final game of the 2019 season. The you know, Bengals had nothing to play for in the Week 18 matchup last year, but still feels like the Browns. Just have something that has given the Bengals problems. And I did find some stuff while rewatching this game and digging into some of the numbers that that I do think is particularly interesting. But just at first glance, when you're thinking about these two teams, is there anything just on the surface level that would lead to Cleveland having the Bengals number like this? Or is it confounding to you? I It's it's a little confounding. I think... Uh, the, my first, if we're talking Bengals defense, Browns offense would be, oh, because the Brown, Browns are a unique team in the sense that they run a lot of heavy personnel and they pound the freaking rock on everybody and they have their way with a lot of teams. The Bengals defense uh, is very, very good, but that's one way you can get after them a little bit. You get them in heavy personnel and run the ball on them. Okay. So that would be my one answer. On the flip side, for me, it would just been like, oh, well, they couldn't block Miles Garrett. And that was like my first just ins- uh, like first kind of thought. That came uh, came to my head when we were talking about this matchup, and also the first time they played was uh, first game Jamar Chase was not in, correct? So was not playing. So, guys, I so I'll read this list off right now. Yeah, guys that did not play in this game: Jamar Chase, Eli Apple, DJ Reader, Wyatt Teller, David Njoku, JOK, Denzel Ward, Deshaun Watson, <laughs> and Awuzie. I got hurt in the middle of the game. So a lot of guys, but <laughs> I, and teams. It's, it's, it's worth <laughs> acknowledging some of that, but we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that as we dig further into it. I know, but I know you've got some, some really juicy stats with this game because it is super interesting how, and just watching on film, it, it was kind of, I got some confirmation on it. So I want you to kind of spew out your stuff. It's because it's so pretty interesting. I, I want to talk about the, the Bengals defense against the Browns offense, like you alluded okay. to. Okay. So obviously the Browns are a unique team. You know, they run a ton of heavy personnel, but they yep. didn't in this game, by the way. Just and part of that is really because Njoku didn't play. So they ran a lot more 11 than they typically do. They yeah. were in pony personnel a decent amount. But that didn't stop the Bengals from loading up the box. Okay. So in the last time these two teams played, the Bengals were in a light box. So six guys or fewer on 29% of their plays. Okay. They're at 47% for the season. Okay. So that's very... uncharacteristic so there are two things that i was like okay maybe this is why simply because they're playing the browns teams this year are at 42 percent against the browns so even for this team the Bengals are extreme in the amount of heavy boxes that they play against cleveland the other one i was thinking was okay dj reader didn't play did they load the box more in this game than they have previously against the browns the answer to that is no 
It was actually almost the exact same percentage of heavy boxes that they've played against Cleveland over the last three years. So they play them with just bodies yeah. up front in order to stop the run. They seem hell-bent on saying, you are not going to run the ball against us. And guess what? In this game, Browns averaged about 3.9 yards per carry. They did, like, yeah, they they did, did not that. run the ball all over them, even with Reader not playing. The problem is <laughs> that when they play Cleveland, they sling it around on them. Yes. So in this That's game specifically, me. they played 45% man coverage, which is even extreme against the Browns team that faces man coverage at one of the highest rates in the NFL. And the Browns move the ball consistently through the air. So if you look at the last three seasons, okay, since Kevin Stefanski got to Cleveland, yep. 27 teams have played against the Browns. So one okay. division hasn't. The Bengals are 23rd in EPA per drop back allowed against those 27 teams. And think about how good the Bengals' defense has been for the most part. So they just do – this is real. Like against the Bengals, against the Browns' offense, they have struggled against the pass specifically. And I think a big reason for that is that they load up the box. So makes a ton of sense. But I'm wondering, are they looking at this and saying, listen, if we keep doing this, we're going to be in trouble. Like they're throwing the ball way too easily. So this is the game plan that they've had against Brissett and then a little bit against Baker. There's no way to know how they'll play against Watson. And I don't right. think the Browns know how they're going to try to play against Watson. So that's right. obviously the mystery here. But whatever the formula is that the Browns were trotting out, excuse me, the Bengals were trotting out over the last few games hasn't really worked. A couple small notes that, that I think are important context there. Cam Taylor Britt was playing in this game because Eli Apple was out. I think it was one of his first starts. He was playing left corner for the most part. It did not go well. I mean, he had some rough moments of miscommunication. There were some busts on that side. He's obviously had a lot more time now. He's within the defense. Their secondary is definitely in place in a way that it wasn't back then. The other thing is when Woozy got hurt, Trey Flowers came in, was having to play against Amari Cooper. A couple rough moments. Uh, he wants to go Amari. against Travis Kelsey. <laughs> yeah. Trey Flowers against Amari Cooper on the outside is not the matchup that the Bengals want. So a couple specific layers to it, but I still think that overall, the formula that the Bengals have taken to the Browns has not worked as well as they wanted to. The Browns live in extremes. The Bengals have lived to the furthest extreme when they've played against the Browns, and it really hasn't gone that well. I know. That was the that game against the Browns was the lowest Pass success rate of that the Bengals have had all year as a defense. Like that, it, it's super wild. It's not because that's not the offense that I thought would do it to them. I thought maybe give up explosives, but success rate is a whole different story. That's efficiency, and that's not. I mean, when you're going against a Browns team that's gonna have their way on the in the run game, they're gonna figure out a way to run the ball on you. Okay, so we gotta stop one attribute of this team. Okay, we'll, we'll take away the pass. Not gonna let them get. It. But if they're nickel and diming you and hitting explosive plays in the passing, that's a hard, hard offensive stop for your defense. Especially, I, I love the man stat because it's stark. Like when you just we we have the ability to look at true media, and I can just look at the game log, and I can just see how many times they the team ran cover one. Like twenty percent of the time, including that game with the Browns, is what the Bengals rate is to run man. Forty five percent in that game, that first living game. in it's extremes, extreme, extreme. So it's. It's an interesting matchup. And I think the other thing too is that this, uh, the other time I've seen this Bengals defense kind of, kind of get after was the Cowboys in their first matchup. The Cowboys, even with Cooper Rush, they're getting after them. And it was another team that got them into heavier personnel because it's just how the Cowboys play with all those tight ends. So it's just, that's another, just again, this whole theme of this podcast is like bogey teams. It's yeah. the teams that just give these other, these good teams 
problems. Like a good team gives another good team problems. And that's what this matchup kind of seems like, especially on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, I was, again, searching for things. What's a little bit different? What's maybe your reason if we're trying to search for stuff on the margins, why this might be happening? Coming into the game, the Browns had played 17 snaps of cover two over the first seven weeks of the season. They played 11 against the Bengals, which not surprising. Teams, especially early in the season, it's the first half of the season, we're playing a heavy dose of cover two against the Bengals. And it was funny that the final outcome of what the Browns defense looked like in that game, especially in the secondary, without Ward, without JOK back there, I came away thinking, why don't you play like this more often? All the time. Where you're playing a bunch of different coverages, and maybe it's just because they don't think their guys can handle it, but watching Burrow be unsure of what he was seeing on the back end, it's like, this is the best your defense has played all year. You're giving Miles Garrett a chance to get home, which we can talk about in a second. So that was part of the issue, is that this team had played a certain way for most of the season, for for half the year. They come out, they play different coverages than they had. There was one snap, a two-man where yep. Burrow thought he had Higgins on the outside, but Emerson was totally gloved up on him. And all the various things that they were doing was giving Burrow problems. So I'm wondering, should they be a little bit more varied against teams that aren't the Bengals? Because it seemed like a good strategy. Rather than just sit in quarters and let teams just dice you up. I mean, they Quarter ran three. everything. Yeah. They, they ran everything. I Because I rewatched that game just before the show, and it was cover three, two-man example. That two-man example is perfect. But before that two man on the on the third down, they ran robber twice, and it fooled Burrow both times. They ran robber probably because he wasn't expecting it much. And all of a sudden, I'm about to hit this backside dig. Oh, you're running cover two again. Oh shit, you're a man. Okay, well fine, I'll still hit the back. Oh shit, the robber guy's right in the middle where my dig is. Oh, I gotta check it down. So they and- said that was cover three. On the, in, in true oh, media man. on that play. I was back and forth on it because that's what I thought it was too. This is interesting for no one but us. Yeah, yeah, it's Robert. I know, that's I what know, I thought right? it was I, too. I, trust me, as a quality, that's what like that's what these stat guys had to do is a lot of stuff I used to have to do and go like, okay, this is cover two. This is this coverage and there's nothing worse than you're torn between two covers and you're just like, ah, screw it, Robert. But no, it was Robert a couple times and then they had another one where they brought five and then they ran man, but then they did, they had basically what... Um, the Colts did to the Eagles. They had the safety covering the back. And Burrow thought that it was going to be a botched coverage. He was like, oh, the back got out. Another underrated thing that the Bengals offensive line does, even if they've never had the talent, they're at least sound in what they do. So the back was able to get out, even though the the Browns were rushing five. And then he checks it down and gets tackled, short of the sticks. And I thought that there was a couple times that Burrow – this was when Burrow was starting to eat his vegetables – and check things down and work the backs. This yep. was just when he was starting to do it. And you could tell a couple times, he's like, oh, this has been working the last couple of weeks. And when I played the Saints and stuff, I'm going to keep hitting these running backs. And then the Browns were on it. So you could tell he's like, oh, shit. Like <laughs> They were on it. And they also tackled very well in this Very game. well. Like those are, it's, that's not an interesting reason why a defense played better than you'd expect. But when you go back and watch that game, Emerson yep. made multiple tackles in space because they made the corners tackle. Yes. Taki Taki made a tackle in space. I mean, they consistently one-on-one in open space were making tackles in this game, which the Browns, that has not been a strength of theirs for the most and, part. And that's the Bengals calling card is they yeah. are a very good tackling team. Just watch that Chiefs matchup. No, it's, it's – and the other thing too is the Miles Garrett matchup matters because – just mentioning it again, Jamar Chase. No, that's back, what so. I was about to get to is that there's also so, one big factor here on Cleveland. <laughs> so 
Yeah, so this guy's pretty damn good, and he's really hard to block one-on-one. So that guy's usually, when that happens, is the offense has to provide chip help. And when you're going with a team that's been using their backs so much as checkdown options, it makes him hang an extra half second. So that can just change up that timing. But the Bengals get this guy named Jamar Chase back, which also helps. And it's yes. let's see how the let's see how the Browns tackle when they have to tackle number one <laughs> in space. And I am curious if with Chase back and now a little bit more time for the Bengals to hone this version of their offense when they're playing against a bunch of these different like two eye coverages and everything else. It's been a few more weeks. I think that both of those factors lead to the Bengals probably having a better day. Garrett is just. Jonah Williams had some rough moments in this game. I don't know who 58 is on the Browns. I should have written down the name. He roasted Williams for a sack on a key third down. And then Garrett had three drive-ending plays. He yep. had a sack on a spin where they were trying to chip him. That's oh one God. of the most disgusting sacks a player has had this season. Miles yeah. Garrett's 6'5", probably 280. And he ripped off a spin move like he was Dwight Freeney. Dwight Freeney is my height. So just think about the center of gravity required to spin that. Yeah. tightly and efficiently miles garrett is not that watching him do it is uh, defies physics yeah. and then he had the tip ball interception early in the game is miles garrett and then he also had a stunt where he caved the entire side of the line in and the linebacker got home to finish off the sack Just another third down so he wrecked the it's nice game. Having those guys. The, <laughs> it, it's very nice but the Bengals <laughs> offensive line is playing better so yes. that it's it's definitely worth considering the last note that i had this is just a familiarity thing i think two big plays where the the Browns brought Taki Taki from space on a blitz. Excuse me, from depth. So he's not walked up. Mm-hmm. Times it up perfectly. Perfectly. Both times. One, speeds burrow up in completion. The other one, strip sack. Mm-hmm. They slid the protection the other way. He comes untouched through the A-gap. Mixon steps up. But you're running back. You don't want him taking no. on a linebacker full steam ahead in the A-gap untouched. But they've, they timed it up twice very, very well. And I wonder if that's just from seeing a team a lot, understanding if they're going on a silent count on the road, what those tells might be like and getting a yep. little bit of information because they hit them with it twice. Yeah, so, no, yeah, these are all the different factors you start adding up as to why a defense that hasn't been playing very well has a really nice day against an offense that is playing very well. Right. And maybe they caught them right when the Bengals were making these changes and they have yeah. like they're not fully formed yet. And I think. They have been become more fully formed. So yeah, no, it's it's a lot more interesting than I, I thought maybe when I first peeped it. Like when I was like, oh no, but because you're like, oh, what do you what do you assume with the Browns defense? Oh, just run on them, just run on them, nickel and dime them, and just that's all you got to do. But it's like you rewatch this game, it's like, oh shit, they really did give them a lot of issues, especially in that run game. So I'm just curious if the Bengals can continue their like kind of efficient ways and don't defer into okay, let's find our explosives over and over because I don't know the Browns team they have a beat on a little bit. That that pressure example is such a good one because that's on that's on count. That's on cadence. Yeah. That's something that's okay. All right. Is there going to be a little bit more of that in this matchup? All right. One more AFC game we want to dig into here, and I want to tiptoe around this fairly lightly. Obviously, we've heard so many different things thrown out this year about Burrow, or excuse me, about Tua and Herbert, and, you know, it's social media quarterbacks and and all (laughs) of the discourse that that has emerged here over the last few months. I just want to talk about more than the individual matchups on one side of the ball or the X's and O's associated with this. How we arrived at this moment, I I just find so interesting, right? Yeah. So before the season, going back to last spring, the Dolphins wanted to hire Sean Payton 
and sign Tom Brady. Yep. Or get Tom Brady. That was the Dolphins' plan at quarterback where and they play don't caller. Have their first round pick next year. Yes. <laughs> no, they they do not have a first one, round pick because yeah. of it. They don't have their first yeah. round pick because of it. That's what they wanted to do. That totally unravels. Instead, they hire Mike McDaniel, mm-hmm. who is probably going to be one of the top three betting favorites for coach of the year. You can make a very yep. strong argument that he should be the coach of the year based on his influence on what the Dolphins' offense is. Absolutely. Tua, who they were trying to jettison for multiple different quarterbacks over the last few seasons, is now a legitimate MVP candidate because of the way he has played. They have one of the most efficient offenses in recent memory and explosive offenses. Yep. Now, going into the season, the Chargers were legit Super Bowl contenders. They were yes. like the third or fourth best Super Bowl odds of anybody. This wasn't just us talking about the Chargers, okay? Justin Herbert had one of the highest MVP odds of any quarterback in the league. I believe he was probably third after Allen and Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Now, we've devolved so far in the other direction that instead of Sean Payton being the coach that the Dolphins are chasing, there are now rumblings about whether or not Sean Payton is going to be the coach that the Chargers end up chasing. And Man. that's now where we are. And and I think that there's a lot of stuff to talk about and think about as it relates to that. But just the, the paths that these narratives take and how quickly it can change, I think that this game specifically is a real reflection and expression of that. So Khalil Mack was traded on the start of the league year. So that was March 16th. So we're not, almost nine months later. How much how different of a world this is that we're talking about. That's why I learned I was about to be a dad and then compared to now. Like that is basically what world we're living in now. It's it's astounding to me. I was Dolphins were just such a curious case uh, going into this year. I was uh, the Tyreek Hill and Waddle kind of like pairing to me, especially with Kasiki, and I'm now I see how they're using it, but I was like kind of felt like a hat on a hat. And okay, Mike McDaniel, they're gonna run the ball, but I don't think this offensive line's built for that. You know, who are they gonna like how are they gonna set the edge? And that's just me getting into that schematics. Watching this offense is they figured it out. Like Mike McDaniel figured out the strengths of everybody. We got the speed of all speed at receiver, and we have a quarterback that's willing to push the ball into the middle of the field over and over and over. That all works. And that's what's just so funny. You look at this Chargers team, and I went into August saying this roster is stars and scrubs, not thinking it would look like this, though. Like, I, I kind of was thinking, oh, yeah, they, they're really top-heavy. But, you know, even if they, they can withstand some injuries, and, of course, they've had a lot of injuries. Like, the top guys on their roster as far as uh, their salaries this year is Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. If you're paying a lot of those guys a lot of money and they're missing games. J.C. Jackson getting benched. They weren't the Chargers team was not expecting this is not an excuse factor either, but they weren't expecting to go into this year expecting to play DeAndre Carter six hundred snaps this season. DeAndre Carter has played seven hundred snaps, seven hundred thirteen snaps. This is his fifth team in five years in his career going into this year. And he's played six hundred this year. Trey McKitty and Gerald Everett have played over eight hundred snaps combined. This is all the downsides of how they built this roster and how this team has all unfolded this way. While the Dolphins have done ways to mitigate the holes in their roster That's and also perfect. just amplify all the good things about their roster. That's exactly right. And and yeah. I think that's important to not make this an excuse fest or a this is why two is successful. That's not what we're talking about here. No. Right? It the Dolphins drafted Jalen Waddle and went out and signed Tyreek Hill. They made two big plays at receiver. Yep. The Chargers did the same. You know, the Chargers have Keenan Allen on a big $20 million deal, guys. <laughs> and they have a twenty million dollar other receiver in Mike Williams. The Chargers have had injuries along their offensive line. Rashawn Slater's missed most of the season. Yep. Trey Pipkins has missed a decent amount of time. 
Corey Lindsley has only played 500 of a possible like 840 snaps for yep. the Chargers. The Dolphins offensive line has also had some injury issues and over the rough. course of the season. <laughs> Armstead has missed time. Their right yep. tackle has missed time. Their center has missed a little bit of time. Yep. The plan on offense for the Dolphins has been so fully and completely realized in a positive yep. way. And the plan for this Chargers team has completely disintegrated. Yes. That, that is the difference. It's not about whether or not one has help and another doesn't. It's just that the no. plan around this Chargers team has completely disintegrated. Mike Williams has played about half of the Chargers snaps in this game or in this season. And they haven't been able to live as a result of that. The Dolphins have been able to survive despite the guys that they've lost because the structure and the way that their offense is built and conceived of is so incredibly conducive to their quarterback skill set. The Chargers are not that. And when you watch the Chargers play against the Raiders last week, oh my God, the Raiders played man coverage on 45% of their snaps. Okay. They only blitzed a quarter of the time and they led all teams in pressure rate last week. The way that the Raiders played against the Chargers, and obviously Chargers are out, left tackle, starting center, right tackle's out of the game. Mike Williams, obviously, all that is, we can understand that. The way that the Raiders played against the Chargers last week reminds me of the ways that teams play against the Zach Wilson Jets or against the Mac Jones Patriots. We're going to play a bunch of man coverage because your offense is crumbling in front of us and we don't respect you. Yep. And it is wild that this Chargers team with Justin Herbert is in that place 13 weeks into the season. But that's what it feels like. It feels like the foundation is crumbling underneath their feet. And it's hard to watch, honestly. There, there's he's never everything with this offense is hard, which is yes. fine when you have not only just a good quarterback but players everywhere. You can run this hard offense like what the Cowboys do a little bit. It's pretty hard what they're doing, but they got some dudes. <laughs> they got they got C D Lamb, they got a great O line, they got Dak playing well, and they got all those running backs and tight ends. And that's what it is, is the Miami Dolphin the Dolphins offense is very there's a lot of easy buttons that they hit. They do some hard things. The margin things, for but error is so wide. And so again, huge. it's not to discredit the quarterback. No. The margin for error is so wide because good offenses create a wide margin of error and speed also create that, creates yes. that for you. Speed kills. Speed always Which kills. The, Dolph- speed the is- Dolphins have and the Chargers do not have. <laughs> exactly. Speed helps everything. A speed with size helps everything even more. Like the thing about Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, they're great players. They're both slow. <laughs> like the, yes. I, don't, I know I, I don't, I'm not scared to say that like they are not fast players they win by bodying guys up and with some technician as far as keenan allen but it's that offense i did a clip i did a cut up of herbert against uh the cardinals and he's thrown a field out route which is i know people are like oh every nfl quarterback should make that throw yeah on on routes on air not against nfl corners and who are jump all those balls just watch it he hits three of them in one game and yes that's awesome justin herbert can do that your offense should not be built off field out routes against the NFL corners. Like, I don't care who, which corners you're playing against. And that's what the offense is just hard because they don't have players to help, like, give the room for error. And they don't have an offensive play caller or play designer that's giving room for error. So it's just like, just hard. After, it's just bashing your head. It's check down after check down. It's tightly contested throw after tightly contested throw. Okay. One shot play that works. And then it's just like, Three yard runs, two yard runs, zero zero yard runs, and Austin Eckler is a great player. Okay, here's another check down to Austin Eckler. It's just all this hard stuff, and then you watch the Dolphins motion and RPOs and just stuff just going left and right, play action, ball over the middle, and just 
guys running wide open and it's that's the difference it's just uh, well coached with a team that knows how to use their talent and then the other guys even if the the quarterback is an outstanding quarterback i think in my eyes and i think a lot of our eyes unless you're blind <laughs> this is not just us falling in love with like big quarterback big arm no. go boom okay i was looking this up for a different reason uh i was looking up because i was curious about uh I think it was Russell Wilson. I was just like looking back at the stats since 2010, like quarterback efficiency. Okay. Since 2010, Justin Herbert ranks 11th in EPA per dropback among yeah. quarterbacks with at least 1,000 attempts. This These are the quarterbacks. Anymore. <laughs> and th- that includes this season. Okay. That okay. includes yeah. this rough season that he's had. Since 2011 or since 2010, here are the quarterbacks that rank ahead of Justin Herbert in EPA per dropback. Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Peyton Manning. Okay. Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Tony Romo, Jimmy Garoppolo, which we can get into in a second. <laughs> Philip Rivers, my king. I, I just think he belongs in this conversation. Yes. Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan. Okay. That's it. He's yeah. in year three. Yeah. And that includes a year where they've been below average offensively. Yes. That is and his rookie sort of, year. Yes. <laughs> And so the rookie year, the rookie, we, we talk about some sliding doors moments, and I want to talk about a couple of them as they relate to the offense here in a second. If they had, think about if they had kept Shane Station. Right. Right. Because trying to figure out why Herbert was so good as a rookie, independent of, oh, he can just overcome anything thrown at him. This yeah. season has been a sign that they really can't, and very few quarterbacks can. But I don't think we understood in the moment how good of an offensive coach Shane Station was. We all know what's unfolded over the last couple of years. I think Shane yep. Station will probably be a head coach after this season ends based on what he's doing with the Eagles. He's the Eagles offensive coordinator, by the way. Yeah. And if you look at what the Eagles do, it is nothing like any of those Chargers offenses. This guy's a North Turner guy. Like yes. This guy is old school, like play action, deep seven-step concepts, which the Eagles actually kind of do, but they dress it up in a totally different way, which just speaks to good coaching and good play design and understanding your personnel, as opposed to thinking that you have Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees on every snap with the dominant offensive line. <laughs> every single bet that the Chargers made about the team that they wanted to be has failed. Okay, Left. They go out and they trade a second-round pick for Khalil Mack. They give J.C. Jackson a huge contract. They were number one in cash spending on defense in the NFL this season, this offseason. Number one in cash spending. They're 28th in EP per play on defense. Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Stats tweeted out something earlier this week that I just thought was mind-boggling. The Chargers' defense has given up 26 plays of 30-plus yards this season. It's 32nd in the league. They've given up 13 touchdowns from outside the red zone. It's 32nd in the league. Oh my God. 6.7 yards per play on first down. That's 32nd in the league. That, one's that includes ranking 32nd in yards per rush and pass on first down. They've given up a scoring, they've given up a score on 42.9% of drives, which is 29th in the NFL. So this team that spent more money on its defense than any team in the NFL is now one of the worst defenses in the league. And I know that Joey Bosa has been hurt. I know that JC Jackson has been hurt, but other teams have injuries too. Right. Like, and stuff happens. And guess what? No one made you spend at the top of the market for J.C. Jackson. You can nope. build depth by doing that. No one made you trade a second-round pick to pay for Khalil Mack. That, Khalil Mack's only like $9 million against the cap this year, but you can spend $9 million on a free agent and use that second-round pick on somebody. They right. went top-heavy with these things, and they don't have depth as a result of it. We've talked about this a million different times. 
They only had three edge rushers on the 53-man roster when the season started. So you right. lose one of them, and now you're down to Chris Rumpf and Cleo Mack. And when Rumpf gets hurt, now Van Noy is a full-time edge rusher. And then you go onto the offensive side of the ball. They draft Zion Johnson in the first round yep. Okay, with this it's thought of, fun. we're going to have better protection. So that's yep. going to allow us to push the ball down the field. Yep. Sure, we don't have speed, but we're going to bully people over the middle. Then Mike Williams gets hurt. Then Keenan Allen gets hurt. Their offensive line is bad in protection up in the middle, even with the guys healthy. Johnson yep. hasn't been that great. Matt Filer's definitely had a regression season. Yes. And now all of these elements of this is who we want it to be has started to fall apart. All of the elements of who the Dolphins want it to be have fallen into place almost exactly how you would plan it. Right. And now we see the contrast between those two teams. That's what it is. It's when you're swinging for the fences and you whiff every single time. You're not even getting on base. This is what happens. It's, it's, it's astounding that like, I mean, I went to the year. I mean, you asked me, you're like, what, what, what's holding you back from like, like really liking the Chargers? And I was like, man, I just watched their tight ends and like everyone falls in love with Gerald Everett because they watch the one explosive play by him, by him, like that he gets one or two a game, but they don't watch the 40 to 50 snaps in between. And that when this offense, this offense is built, we talk about room for error. It's not built to have the loosey goosey bills a little bit with the Dolphins do. Dolphins are kind of a mix, but like we just talk about the bills. They're, they're, laissez-faire, okay, everything. They're, the Chargers are not built that way. They're built efficient, 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 everybody perfect. And then they have guys botching plays left and right. That's why I was just like, man, I don't know. Osackler is not in the game. Who's protecting? If the team blitzes and you have an offensive line that's getting injury uh, injury prone, the center's not picking up, the running back has to stay in protection, they have guys botching that all the time. So it's just like it's an offense. And this, I mean, we've talked about this like a dozen times. It's an offense built on being efficient and perfect. And they have a bunch of players that aren't efficient and smart and perfect. That And it's just – that's team building. That's like room for error, whatever you want to say about this team. And they just whiffed on all the other ways that we're supposed to mitigate that. Oh, we'll just have the stars carry us through those tough times in between those inefficient plays. And that's what happens when you're built this way. They just don't have enough of those role players that can help them out down-to-down basis. All right. We're going to take one more quick break. Talk about some quarterback changes before we get into some picks in fourth screen. Let me get out of here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Isn't that the San Francisco treat? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's just something about Mary. I, I appreciate Bella really digging around here for some I love drops. Them. All right. I want to talk just very briefly here. We talked about a little bit on Sunday, but just the realistic expectations for a Brock Purdy-led 49ers team, okay? Right. Some of the numbers were thrown out here. 40 Football Outsiders had their playoff odds at about 95.9% chance before the Jimmy Grapple injury, about 93.4% mm-hmm. chance now, almost negligible. Okay. Their Super Bowl odds to win the Super Bowl fell about 5%, from 8% down to 3%, Okay. So they go from, as Brian Knowles from Football Outsiders contextualizes here, a second-tier kind of Super Bowl contender, one step down from everyone else, to legitimate still dark horse Super Bowl contenders. We heard some news earlier this week that Jimmy could theoretically come back 
late in the playoffs. Kyle Shanahan didn't sound super enthused about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but starting this week against the Bucks and then moving forward, what is a realistic expectation for a Niners team quarterback by Brock Purdy based on what you saw last week? Oh, man. It... Yeah, I, I feel like that dark horse Super Bowl contender is kind of like where I'm at with him because watching that performance, it, it's Brock Purdy is just going to be he's, it's a rookie quarterback. It's an undraft. Or it's a late guy. Like not a Mr. first day pick. It was the last pick Mr. of the draft. Irrelevant. And as as much as I watch that offense and literally running the exact same plays that they ran with Jimmy G, that they're running with Brock Purdy. I was wondering if at, over the course of the game, anything changed. Nothing. Like play action rate, shotgun rate, you know, under center, whatever they were doing. Every single number is in with like 0.5 percentage points of everything. That might same. be because he comes in mid-game, right? Like maybe right. they changed something moving forward. It. Yeah. But nothing about the offense changed when Brock Purdy came in nothing. last week. Same exact concepts. Like they were just like, yeah, this is what we're running. So – do they're always the joke about Kyle Shanahan wants his quarterbacks to so he could just be the joystick? You know, they they're the controller and he's going to hold the controller and just go. You throw here. I, I always do the motion as I'm talking about controllers too. Like I actually threw that button to the B button there. But it's I think with watching the Brock Purdy offense and watching all that, it's like you can get seventy five percent of Jimmy G out of this eighty percent with maybe a little bit more creation, but he's also going to be a little more chaotic. Than Jimmy Jimmy G is. Yeah. The rest of the roster is just so freaking good. The playmakers they have, the defense they have, they're still a good team, even with insert name quarterback here. And the more I just look at it, like the they they had eight games where they started Nick Mullins as a rookie. So that that's what you got to go back to here. That's what I look at. And he was his QBR in those games. He was fifty one point seven QBR. That's basically league average fifty. That's kind of what I'm expecting out of this. And with a yeah, really positive good roster. EPA per play as a quarterback, as a drop, a positive EPA per dropback as a quarterback under Kyle Shanahan. Positive. And they've, their weapons are so much better than they had in 2018. You know, so it's, I don't know. I, I'm not as down on this team as I thought. You just have to be realistic. I'm not going, they are not going to miss a beat without Jimmy G. I'm not saying that, but I do think that they are more of a good team than I think people are realizing. People are just writing them off. It's somewhere in between as always. I, I would consider it like, as you put it, more of a dark horse Super Bowl type of team that can win a playoff game for sure. Like that's how I'm looking at them right now. They're a top five passing offense, top six passing offense with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. That's not going to happen no. with Brock Purdy. But if they can be slightly above average with the way that their defense is playing, that's they're still dangerous, yep. even if they're not like a true Super Bowl contender at the same level as the Eagles or the Cowboys right. or some of the teams in the AFC. And I think that's what has happened here. And the Eagles in 2017, it's a little bit different just because you know, Foles could go on such weird streaks. <laughs> right. you know, and I just don't know what that's going to look like. But you look at the way the offense and how it was structured last week, the same offense. They ran the same exact kind of same stuff. Thing. He missed more throws. Yeah. And there were throws available to him that he just missed. And yep. it's his first game. It's his seventh round pick. He's playing against a huge, it's a huge matchup. Yep. And he is, goes in without any sort of warning. You're going to spray a couple. Like there's a lot yep. going on there. So it's not yep. surprising. I, I go back to the number we mentioned earlier about Garoppolo and his EPA per dropback compared to all of the quarterbacks since 2000. Kyle Shanahan has constructed an offensive system that has made Jimmy Garoppolo Philip Rivers. Yeah. You know, like that's that's what he's done. Yeah. And it's remarkable. And some of the other numbers that I it was just shocking. 
digging back through some of it. I was looking at the other quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has coached over the last, since 2010. That was the cutoff that I put on it. Matt Ryan, during his two seasons with Kyle Shanahan, had the same EPA per drop back since 2000 as Drew Brees. Right. Matt Schaub was essentially a top 10-ish quarterback. He was like the same as Jimmy has been over this stretch during his two seasons with Kyle Shanahan in Houston in 2008 and 2009. Look at what Nick Mullins has done or what Nick Mullins' stats were. Nick Mullins was an above average NFL quarterback. He was a positive – like their their offense was a positive passing offense with Nick Mullins who – is he on a team right now? I don't even know uh, if he's he a is, backup. He's the Vikings right now. Yeah, okay. So he's bounced around. Let's just say yes. that. He's been on several he's rosters. Bounced around. He's with Cleveland like, last year. It's, it's not, not like, like he's locked into a, a backup job somewhere. No. And no. their offense was still – they were their passing offense was positive with Nick Mullins in the game. Yes. So that's what you have to bet on is you have to bet on the infrastructure and Kyle Shanahan and all of this yep. stuff, you know, lifting this guy to the point where it's not going to – sabotage your chances even if you're not going to be a top seven passing offense anymore yes yes and that's and that's what it is it's still a shanahan run game they just have start they just have leaned into that stuff less because they don't didn't need to the last few weeks they're just like hey we're sprinkling our runs we're not doing as much nakeds but guess what it's not like they threw those out (laughs) like it's not like they it's just that they were just reconfiguring the offense because they had these freaking awesome weapons that they could just keep on the field for every snap they could just go 21 personnel every snap guess what they can still do it like i'm wondering if they do go back to more under center play action and more boots i think i think they have to just that that would make sense if they were just putting the training wheels back on the offense because they feel like that was the best way to generate stuff with the backup quarterback in there but that's what's so funny is that how much how many of the same concepts you saw in the first quarter or last week last two weeks with the 49ers offense and then you just see it they they're just like hey oh purdy's in well all right same call sheet like (laughs) we're still on opening script let's keep going through it so i i just think you're gonna miss like you said that he's gonna miss some easy throws he'll mitigate some of that with some chaotic creation plays because that's how he just plays he's one of those guys that bonks his head and thinks he's josh allen like he's just one of those types of players so there's gonna be some of that um i just think it's just funny. It's like it's just gonna be a little bit of a different flavor than maybe even what Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins was more of a, a very efficient by the numbers type of quarterback. So it's like a little different flavor. But if they can get Nick Mullins had a QBR, like you said, positive EPA, a QBR of fifty one. That is legitimately that's the same that Mac Jones had last year. Okay, all right. So like you know, this is what Kyle Shan can do with no name quarterbacks, and not to say Brock Purdy's a no name quarterback. He had a fine college career. But it's just that's what we're given, and I think he was the last pick of the draft. You don't have to be nice. He was the last. I'm trying to be nice. We're we're, talking about about the the tapestry of NFL quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is not a sought after asset, right? Like that. That's how we can frame this. Yes. All right. Speaking of quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, how they can keep their teams afloat. Let's talk about the Ravens and Tyler Huntley very quickly. Obviously, a very different situation uh, with Lamar and the Ravens. Seems like Lamar is only going to miss. A week or two, that's you know, it's like, my yeah. understanding. One to three weeks has been the report. So unlikely to play on Sunday. Obviously, the Ravens are two and a half point underdogs against the Steelers. 
Realistic expectations for the Tyler Huntley-led offense in Baltimore, in your mind? They, the Ravens do a great job in the sense that, and I said this on Sunday, is that they have a backup that matches the play style of their starter, which is Lamar so unique in, in how he plays. But that's how Huntley plays as well. He's a Diet Coke version of Lamar. Like just play style, how he throws it, where he throws it. It's kind of actually really funny. Um, but that's what you're getting. You're getting 70% Lamar. Like that with Tyler Huntley, we've had enough tape on him. We saw him last year. He's going to create some plays. He can make some big throws. Um, Lamar is always going to be underrated as a pocket passer. I think Huntley will look to bail more than Lamar does. So I think that's what you're looking at with Huntley, that he can he can make enough plays and do enough in structure to keep the offense going. But, you know, it's not Lamar. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. All right. So the, the Ravens next four. Steelers, Browns, Falcons, Steelers. Okay. okay. Let's theoretically say Lamar misses all of those games. Just to throw Make it out fun. there. Make it fun. Still feels like they could win two of those. Yep. Right? Probably at least two of those. So now that becomes a situation where the Bengals, their next four, they have the same record now, obviously. Browns, Bucks, Patriots, Bills. Okay. So even if the Bengals go three and one in those games. And the Ravens go two and two in their games. If the Ravens win in week 18, they have the tiebreaker over the Bengals. So they would still win the division. Mm -hmm. So even if they go two and two and the Bengals still somehow go three and one, we'd be in a a spot where they would still have a play in game in week 18. I I looked at, I just looked at 538 real quick. And their playoff odds, if they lose to Steelers and Cleveland the next two weeks, they still have their 72% make playoffs odds, which is pretty outstanding Like for what, what situation they're in right now. So they, they should be in pretty good shape. Last thing, quarterback-wise, before we get into some fourth screen. News right before we started recording. Not right before. Earlier today. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Desmond no, Ritter is going to be starting for the Falcons moving forward, replacing Marcus Mariota. Obviously, the Falcons are on bye this week, so they're not playing. But just wanted to dig into it real quick because you were a big, big Desmond Ritter fan. And I also I think that... It's interesting. I mean, where the Falcons are and what their quarterback situation is. What do you think about this? I'm I'm very excited. I Mariota played well enough in the first month or two to okay, you can't like just bench this guy. Like you, it's just not. They were one of the cut. most efficient offenses in the league. It was awesome. It was. It was I keep trying to tell people it's like this offense is awesome to watch, but the kind of turned into pumpkin. I would say the last few weeks, you know, just more tape is out there. Defenses are really keen on what they're doing. You lose Kyle Pitts, even though people are going nuts about his targets and stuff. He was still a huge component of that offense and their versatility and what they did. And there's just too many open. The thing with Mariota is he was having some crazy plays in the negative sense. There's just too many open opportunities that he wasn't hitting. So highest off target percentage of any quarterback in the NFL. This it feels like it. It it feels like it. I I had a, a clip where playing Washington and, Drake London makes a great catch on the dig route and, and people don't even care about the catch. They're just like, what was that throw by Mariota? And it's like, that wasn't the point of the clip, but it's like, yeah, that's a lot of this with this, this Falcons offense. The thing with Ritter, I'm a huge fan of Ritter. I, I, I think he has a nice, a lot of traits that I like. He's a great athlete. I mean, he ran a legit sub four five. Um, he is very tough and competitive and what watching him going into his last year with Cincinnati, one, they won games with him. I'm really glad to hear that because that head coach of Cincinnati is now the head coach of Wisconsin. So that's always, it's really nice to, that, that I can compliment this team is he got better every year and he looks like a tire, tireless worker. And he seemed to have an understanding of 
concepts and how to play football. They were running real NFL concepts for him. And he's hitting backside digs. He's hitting everything on time. And on top of that, being a very good athlete and very tough. So that's why I was very optimistic. I'm glad they're giving him a stretch of games here. It's almost, this is the flip side of, okay, you're out of playoff contention. Maybe we're not going to be that team that maybe we'd sneak into the playoffs. But now you actually get to see if this guy has a shot. And it just opens up so many paths if he actually is okay. Or if he's not, then you can kind of go, okay, maybe we'll look in the first round for some of these guys. But I think it's a really good situation to be in and coming off a bye week for the Falcons. I just think it's a very well-planned and well-timed thing for this team. This team has been very thoughtful about how they were going to add and develop quarterbacks. They did not take a quarterback in the first round of the 2021 draft in large part because you look at other examples in the past about teams that draft quarterbacks with no infrastructure around them and how it turns out. It's often awful. And this team was going to have to tear it down. They knew that. And the Matt Ryan contract, all the dead money that they were going to have to eat. This is one of the worst rosters in the league. And that's by design or by necessity. They didn't want to drop a quarterback into that. They know they need a quarterback though. And so by drafting Desmond Ritter in the third round, you allow yourself to handle it however you want to. Right. If you draft him in the second round, there is probably some pressure or some urgency to play him and and make him your starter sooner rather than later. But with that three next to his name, you can do what you want. And now you get a month with him to figure out what he's like in real games, game reps before you enter the offseason and think, do we need to go find a quarterback elsewhere is now the time to do it. Right. And I think that they've done a good job of understanding all the different elements that should play into this. And now they're going to get their information and it's going to allow them to potentially make a decision in the spring. So yeah. I'm excited to watch it. It was time. But this was it the was. right time. It was. This was the right time to do it before the it's- buy. There's no reason to throw him in there before you know what you have, all that stuff. So I'm totally fine with doing it on this timeline. And that's the thing with Arthur Smith. Not only – you say it's one of the worst rosters, and I agree with that. That's a credit to what Arthur Smith and the offensive staff has done. Correct. DP does enough on defense to try and confuse guys, but they have nobody. That's all they got. Smoke bomb. Oh, yeah. That's the whole defense. But the offense is like, this is very real. This is sustainable. Wait until they have some dudes. Like, this is going to be really cool. Arthur Smith has shown time and time again, and I know some of his kind of anti-media, anti-fantasy kind of comments could come across as harsh and like, oh, this guy's an old-timer. This guy is very thoughtful. He he is showing that he understands, okay, there's not just – let's just not just hit this because we have to. He doesn't do anything. Everything is well planned out. The fact that he's starting after the bye week, I'm sure the last couple of weeks, he, he was like, oh, my God. He sit, watches Mariota miss his throws, and he's like – Oh, yeah, I want to throw the rookie in there. It's hard to be a rookie quarterback. It, it's so freaking hard. He understands that. He wasn't, he's not getting, he's not listening to the siren song that I think a lot of us, including myself, might listen shit. to. He doesn't give, not, he does not care. And that's awesome. I think if you're a Falcons fan, you should like really be happy with the trajectory of what this guy is putting out on the field and his thought process with a lot of the things. So I don't know. I just want to tip it a cap to him because I think that all everything he's doing is checking a lot of boxes that I like. All right. It's time for four screen. Let's get to it. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Sometimes I don't think about the fact that people might be watching the show for the first time or listening to the show for the first time. Every week on this show, I have four screens that I program in the noon slates. And it's noon for me in Chicago. And I let our listeners argue for what the fourth screen should be. And this week we have a repeat winner. For the first time this year, 
Wow. Morgan Hickson, who also won in week three. We had to check this and decide if we wanted to roll someone back. But when you have the best email, you have the best email. When you're hot, you're right? hot. Yeah. yeah it, this is about the integrity of the competition. It, it's yeah. not about spreading the ball around. Yeah. All right. Morgan says, come on, Robert. I know it's tradition at this point, so you still have to ask people to pitch them. But you know there's a clear answer for your fourth screen this week. One game will easily be most competitive as every Steelers-Ravens game ends up as some bizarre government social experiment to see how weirdly a game of football can get to 17 to 19 with 157 <laughs> to go. The second game is easily the most intriguing young player in matchup, Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson against a tough Titans D. How will the young marriage respond? Tune in to find out. But this is your fourth screen we're talking about here. It's not about watching weird and competitive close games, nor is it about an exciting young player being tested by a savvy defense. Fundamentally, your screen has always been about one thing, pain. You relish it, <laughs> you study it, you're horrified by it, but you can't look away. What better, what better personifies that energy than watching what the 17-point home favorite Dallas Cowboys are about to do to the Houston Gamblers of the USFL? <laughs> Wait, I mean the Houston Texans, allegedly of the NFL. Although at this point, is there really a difference? If the Gamblers and Texans played, wouldn't the spread be closer than this spread? I think we both know the answer. <laughs> Every Texans fan who tunes in to watch this game is either a masochist or is being subjected to cruel and unusual punishment Man. by their local TV network. Why else would you subject yourself to watching your moribund NFL franchise get swallowed by the Lovecraftian horror that is the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> the Cowboys were on a 130-point pace in the fourth quarter of the Colts game. That number might get exceeded by halftime of this game. And by the way, uh, I'm saying all of this is a Cowboys fan born post 95. The oh. Jones family has systematically designed their team to teach me not to trust, love, or hope for anything. All I've known for the entirety of my fandom is disappointment and heartbreak. I'm well aware they could come out of Sunday and commit 25 penalties for 350 yards, turn the ball over four times, and make Davis Mills look like yep. Tom Brady. That could easily happen, and I still think the Cowboys win by 17. Do you know how unfair the world is to the Texans when I'm this confident in the Mike, McCar Mike McCarthy coached Dallas fucking Cowboys? It's undeniably yeah. must watch TV. So watch. Wow. It's great. Strong. Thank you very much, Morgan. Really good stuff. All right. That was great. It's time for picks. Let's get to it real quick. Boo Jimmy's luck of the week. Ooh, that's a big luck. All right. All right. Here we go. Oh, you're destroying us in this. I, I feel like pretty... I've Pretty embarrassed. I'm doing pretty well, guys. That. I'm like I have never purported to be good at this, though. <laughs> I asked out of it last year. Uh, I didn't want to do it this year, but I was forced into doing it. That's kind of where we are, and uh, I have not done we it very do. well. Uh, yeah, I'm 31 and 29 on the season. Like it hasn't been a total train wreck, but I'm also no. not doing great. Okay, <laughs> this week we talked about it. First segment of the day, and I talked myself into it. I'm going with the Lions minus two and a half. I think the Lions are better than the Vikings right now. I like it. I like it. I I almost did it too. I'll let you get to the other ones, but I almost did that. I, one I don't feel good about any of the rest of them. I have the Jags <laughs> plus three and a half against the Titans. Titans are in a weird spot. I think the yeah. Jags have been a lot better than the record this year. I'm taking <laughs> <been> firing their GM. It's <laughs> hey, really really quick though. Trevor, no no practice again for Trevor today because of that toe <gasps> injury from last week. Yeah, he'll play. Uh, it wasn't a shredded knee, by the way. Again, it, it was a not shredded a shredded knee. knee. So yeah. I'm taking the more than a field goal that the Jags are getting. Essentially, my thought like process there. Like uh, we talked about the Jets and the Bills earlier today. The nine and a half is a lot. And I just think this Jets defense is playing so well. Uh, I really trust them to keep it close in this game. Famous last words. I got the Bengals minus five and a half against the Browns. I don't envision a repeat performance here. Uh, from Cincinnati, I think that getting Jamar Chase back, all the stuff they figured out on offense, you know, the Brown, Browns offense with Deshaun last week looked, you know, pretty rough. 
So I don't know how that's going to go. I'm picking the Bengals there. And I'm going Seahawks minus three and a half against the Panthers. I just, I keep picking the Seahawks and getting burned for it, but I'm going to do it again. Oh, man. I, I'm the same way. I, I did also the, God, I've been on a cold streak ever since my son was born. So that, that was <laughs> wow. legitimate already, excuse. Already I blaming no, the kid. I have nothing to worry about. <laughs> I, I have no I, responsibilities. No. And I wish I could say, oh, I've been studying. No, when I'm feeding them late at night, I'm looking at spreads. So don't get me wrong. I'm 34 and 31 on the year. So still above 500, but I went from 60% to that. Um, but the, right now, I'm also going the Seahawks. I keep picking against the Panthers going, well, they're not going to win games. They're a garbage mm-hmm. team this year, and they just keep hanging and keep covering. So, But here I am betting the Seahawks. I do think they are a pretty good team. I'm going to Chiefs minus eight and a half at the Broncos just because oh, yeah. they got pissed off Mahomes. Uh, they, he wasn't happy losing that game against Burrow. He, he's, he's keeping track of these losses now. I'm sure they all are. And they're going against the Broncos who are just, I mean, just – sad and now the next one i'm going dolphins minus three and a half at chargers i think there's a little bit of a correction going on with the dolphins maybe a little i, I felt i actually thought the spread would be a little larger i was I'm very a little bit surprised by this so going three and a half yeah, i think this like dolphins the team, idea of the chargers yeah like us i think this dolphins team's gonna put up some points so i it's it's gonna be a boat race and i'm not gonna really betting on the chargers who make everything look like a slog Famous last words, all this. Next one, Panthers minus one and a half at the Cardinals. Or Panthers, Patriots minus one and a half at the Cardinals. I This one does actually just make, I think the Patriots are a way better team. I don't care if they're on the road. It's, yeah, I don't know. That one's that one's scary to me. Um, I also think this Patriots defense is damn freaking good, even if they've had a couple bad weeks. But I think it's a good defense statistically and eye test. Last one, this is our classic. Uh, we break down the game and I talk myself into it. It's Jets plus yes. nine and a half at the Bills. Yes! I'm the same way. I, uh... <laughs> The same thing. I I think that yes, the Bills are a better team, but and the Jets are starting Mike White, but I just think this Jets defense will keep it close and they cover. So plus nine and a half. You guys almost got me there with that one too. I, I was just staying away from it, not like I'm trying to bet the Bills minus nine and a half, but as I was listening to your conversation, I actually typed it into the sheet for a second, but I ultimately took it out here. Let me go with one unanimous pick for us: Seahawks, Panthers. Don't know why this is three and a half. It's up to four in the actual betting markets right now. Love the Seahawks in this spot. I mean, they should. They I should guarantee you, we're like two Brian Burns pit, like sack fumbles. <laughs> oh, like it, it oh, is become inevitable now. I'm putting my hey, stink on it. Gino, Gino Wickscale with uh, going against uh, McAdoo, right? Oh yeah, but he likes McAdoo, doesn't What's he? It? I think. It, I think he. I mean, uh, all look, the yeah, all the we're, comments we're, have been about the ownership. We're, we're so. reaching there. <laughs> uh, Robert, with you, Bengals Cruise, minus five and a half. Love them. Uh, it's probably my favorite play this week. I'm also with you, Nate, on the Chiefs, minus eight and a half against the Broncos. That one feels uh, suspiciously low uh, with where these yeah. two teams are right now. So give me the Chiefs, minus the eight and a half. Uh, I'm going to go against you, however, on one, Nate. Give me the Cardinals. Catching that one and a half at home on Monday night I, against I, the Patriots. Patriots, six wins. The quarterbacks they've played in those six wins. Mitch okay. Trubisky, Jared yeah. Goff when the yeah. Lions were in that weird midseason thing, Jacoby yeah. Brissett, Matt yeah. Ryan, Zach Wilson twice. Yeah. Six losses, Tua, Lamar, Rodgers, Fields ran all over them, Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen. But he hasn't gone against Cliff yet. He has not gone against Cliff. <laughs> massive, massive coaching advantage in favor of the Patriots. I will still go ahead and take the Cardinals. And then I've got one uh, unique game here. You guys talked at the top about how top-heavy – the NFC is, I think we're going to see that best personified 
in Eagles and Giants. Eagles are six and a half point favorites on the road. Saquon now on the injury report. Yeah, uh, today that. all of a sudden, I don't know where whether he plays, whether he doesn't play, whatever. Eagles cruise. I think they covered the six and a half. Like we'll get to that game on Sunday night, I assume, uh, if it's yeah. worth talking about. So we have a lot to one. dig into on Sunday night. And guess what? We're back tonight. Yeah. I mean, when Rams Raiders is on the schedule, you got to do a live pod afterward. Have to. Yeah, we missed absolutely. a couple weeks. Uh, you had a kid. Uh, we <laughs> Thanksgiving happened. I was on the road last week. Yeah. We got to start doing these again eventually. So yeah. uh, we're going to break down no Raiders and Rams. Now. We also haven't talked about the Raiders at all. And yeah. the Raiders offense has been playing extremely well. So yeah. this is a good excuse to get some Raiders time in. Yeah. You know, it might, it's like family time. I'm sure we'll right? be talking about Max Crosby a little bit tonight, too. Again, oh, this, this offense a lot. <laughs> it might All be right. a little ugly. So please come back. Check out solely on our YouTube page. It is not available anywhere else. You can come watch our Raiders Rams recap after the game tonight. If you have not, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can do that in the link in the description below. If you're watching it, you can just click a little button that's near you, I assume. I don't know. Sunday night, we will be back with our week 14 recap. Please come back and check that out. In the meantime, please go listen to the football GM with Mike Sando and Randy Mueller. Please go listen to Prospects to Pros with Dane Brugler and Andy Staples. Our draft show, it is getting to be draft time. Really getting into it now. I know you know, man. I I know you're about to really know. Please go Uh, check that out. They do a fantastic job. So do Randy and Mike. In the meantime, we really appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back tonight. Until then, talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.